Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,922. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in San Bruno, California, which is just south of San Francisco with a very special guest by the name of Rob Keel. Rob, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have it in gear? And are you ready to release the clutch? I am. Thank you for having me on. You're welcome. We're going to have some fun today. I know it. Now, before I give you a proper introduction and we dive into this very cool book that you've created, what's one little thing that maybe most people don't know about you, Rob? Well, I think especially given that I've written a book sort of about cars that most people don't realize I don't consider myself a car guy. What? I used to think I, I, used to think <laughs> I was a car guy, just like I used to think I was a Star Wars fan. Mm-hmm. And then the internet was invented and you find out that you thought you knew a lot about a subject and there's someone out there that knows a hundred times more than you do. So I have been I have been humbled by other car guys that just have knowledge way beyond what I ever could dream of having. So I, I step down and modestly call myself not a car guy because I cannot compete with so many people that just know details that, uh, <laughs> that blow my mind about these cars. Well, I was afraid this was going to be my shortest interview. I was going, well, you're not a car guy, so see you later, Rob. It's been fun. Uh, that was great. You know, the internet, yeah, troubling internet. It's like uh, people that they feel they finally made it with wealth and then they get this yacht and then another guy shows up with a bigger yacht. <laughs> oh, man. Just or when you think you know something, you know, you find somebody that knows 10 times what you know. So, Well, you know, the great thing about being a car guy is if you have any interest, uh, everybody is your friend who's another car person, whether it's a car guy, a car gal or whatever. Uh, all you have to do is have an interest and uh, ask people the right questions like I do every day. And they'll just talk and you just sit back and listen and learn. So that's the great thing about automotive people. Uh, we're going to have some fun today because this book you've created is very, very cool. So let me give you a proper introduction. Rob Keel is an advertising art director, a filmmaker, and an author who was born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area. Part of how he found his way to his chosen profession was when he was about 10 years old, he was flipping through old issues of National Geographic magazine, discovering car advertisements, in particular the Pontiac Wide Track ad campaign of the 1960s. His first class on his first day of college was called Advertising Layout and Book Design. Who'd have thought? It all clicked, and within minutes, Rob knew what he wanted to do for a living. And that's exactly what he's been doing ever since. Rob has had a successful career as an advertising art director and in his spare time has written and designed two books. The latest, the one we're going to focus on today, is a book titled Art Fitzpatrick and Van Kaufman, the same men who illustrated hundreds of those Pontiac ads that inspired him way back when he was a kid. One lucky Cars yeah listener is going to receive a copy, a signed copy of Rob's book. So if you want your name in the hat, go to CarsYeah.com, click on the free book button, and somebody's going to win a copy of this book. How cool is that? We'll be back in just a minute to learn more about how this book all came together. But first, a word from our sponsors. So give them a little love, wouldn't you? And we'll be right back. I love Covercraft's new five-layer all-climate cover. It was developed and engineered for anything Mother Nature can throw our way. It's very soft, breathable, and easy to store and pampers your paint and interior surfaces, providing maximum UV, 
rain, dust, and snow protection. Add their gust guards for windy conditions for extra protection. Their five-layer all-climate cover is custom-tailored with Covercraft's attention to detail, form and fit with a quality and attention that's been their standard since 1965. Covercraft protects cars, trucks, motorcycles, RVs, trailers, and watercraft too. Every one of my vehicles is protected by a Covercraft cover. And I have a deal for you. Use the code YA21 at Covercraft.com and you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order plus free shipping. That's right, 10% off and free shipping. Just type in the word yeah, Y-E-A-H, 2-1 at checkout. Yeah, 21 at Covercraft.com. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. Most people don't think about their collector car insurance until their annual premium becomes due. Well, why wait and see if there are better options for your beloved rides? I didn't. Did you know if you change carriers before your policy runs out, your insurance company has to refund you the unearned portion of your policy premium? I did my homework, I shopped around, and I found American Collectors Insurance. And that's who protects my Porsche Turbo. That's right, the one I call my Orange Crush. They've been protecting collector vehicles since 1976. I encourage you to call my friends at American Collectors Insurance. Ask them about their agreed value policy. And if your collector vehicle is on your regular auto policy, you will be shocked at the savings, not to mention the assurance, should something bad happen to your ride, that you'll get what your vehicle is actually worth. Give them a call today for a quote at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866 224 9324. Tell them you're a friend of Mark Green at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. That's American Collectors Insurance. Give them a call today. So, Rob, we're back. Let's dive a little deeper into the corner and talk about this. Now, I'd love for you to share a little bit first about your background, your non-car guy background. I don't believe you, but you can talk a little bit about what you've been doing. You and I share something because I was an art director, creative designer uh, in my career originally, and then I kind of took another course and then took another course, another fork in the road. And then we're going to dive into this book because I love this book. The old art back in the day was so cool, but you've taken it to another level. So let's start with your history and then kind of wheel our way into the book. Yeah, well, I, I started, you know, as as you sort of teed up, I started to become interested in advertising when I was a kid. And I didn't realize at the time that that was a job, that somebody got to design ads and got to come up with ideas for ads and got to work with photographers and illustrators. And, you know, I suspected there might be something like that that I could do. I thought, well, maybe I'll draw cars when I get older because I love to draw cars. So, you know, eventually I realized that, you know, on my first day of college, quite literally, that this was a job that existed. And there was a person called an art director who got to create advertising. And that was it for me. I had already developed a love for it going through old magazines. As you mentioned, particularly old Pontiac ads were my favorite. But any kind of car ads and just other ads in general, old Coca-Cola ads, Kodak ads, I mean, ads for clothes, travel. There was just this glamour and magic about advertising. There was beautiful typography, beautiful illustrations, you know, well-written headlines and copy. It was just a, a kind of craftsmanship that I really admired. And at the time when you're 10, you don't realize that there's a job for that. 
then when I got into college my first day, I realized, okay, this is exactly what it is I've always wanted to do and, you know, have been doing that ever since. So I got into the ad agency business. I started in the mailroom at a big ad agency in San Francisco and then got a junior art director job and then moved up to an art director and then a senior art director and then an associate creative director job and have done a couple other things since then. So yeah, I've just always wanted to be in that business ever since I knew what it was, that it existed as a job. And doing this book is in a way kind of a way to return to a childhood uh, memory and inspiration and get to honor my heroes that kind of got me started on this journey in the first place. Well, sounds like, again, like our backgrounds are very similar. I can't tell you how many times working in that field, I would go, I'm getting paid to do this. This is pretty cool. Now, you think about cars when you were working in the ad agency, did you guys have any automotive clients that you did work for? No, I have never worked on a car account. And, you know, what I discovered in getting into the business was that it wasn't even necessarily cars that I wanted to work on. It was just the idea of advertising in general. And it's actually kind of an interesting challenge to just work on whatever the client may be. I've worked on all kinds of different clients, you know, financial services, home builders, food, you know, transportation, shopping centers, you name it. It's just an interesting challenge to get to the consumer and provide them with a message that is relevant and memorable and hopefully persuasive. Um, So in a way, it doesn't necessarily totally matter what the client is, but being able to craft a good message and make it look and feel right and persuasive is the challenge. So I haven't worked on a car account and I don't necessarily feel that I ever have to. Well, let's talk about this book, Art Fitzpatrick and Van Kaufman. Anyone who's been around or if you can just go back and, of course, the Internet now gives you a plethora of things you can look at. The old car ads from the 60s, the 50s, even into the 70s a little bit, although they started using photography more then, were these delightful illustrations. They were just spectacular in these settings, and they set the tone for the car and the kind of person, a man or a woman, a housewife or a professional woman or a professional man. What kind of person would be in these cars? A lot like what we see today. Apparently, if you drink beer, you'll have two girls around you that are in bikinis all the time, right? That seems to be the pattern for beer drinking. But for cars, these these illustrations really were wonderful. And they would take the cars almost and stretch them out and use these wonderful colors and everything. Uh, the cars, when you really look at them compared to a real car, almost don't look real. They're, they're, they're kind of formed a little differently, made to look sleeker and so forth. So I'd love for you to share more about the art of art and van. What appealed to you about this and why you chose this subject and put it together in this, I think it's, is it 200 pages in this book? Yeah, 200 page hardcover book. Yeah. I I was just, when I first saw this stuff as a kid, you know, I realized that they were paintings. And the thing that just struck me was how beautiful the paintings were, just as a piece of art, even outside of the fact that it was a car that was cool that I liked. There's just a certain craftsmanship and artfulness about the way they were illustrated. You know, beautiful environments, sophisticated composition, beautiful colors. The people were dressed beautifully. The cars are shiny and perfect. And as you say, long and intentionally optically stretched out to be even longer and even wider than they actually were. There's a whole technique that Art Fitzpatrick used to to do that, which I detail in the book. But yeah, it was just kind of the pinnacle of that sort of mid-century, specifically 1950s and 60s kind of good life. And Art Fitzpatrick and Van Kaufman's work, especially for Pontiac, really found the zenith of that 
style and just really exploited it to make the Pontiac brand shine and to be exciting in a way that I think other car brands just could not reach that level of of polish and beauty in the artwork. And yeah, that always just stuck with me. It really raised the level of advertising to be more than an annoyance or simply a presence into something that's just beautiful and engaging and memorable. There's a whole story that's going on in these pictures, especially the Buick and the Pontiac work. They created a whole image and a whole kind of lifestyle around the car that was so much more than just a photograph of a car in a barren white seamless background, which in many cases was kind of the way cars had been shown previously. Photography was very dominant after around 1964, 65. You know, even in the late 50s, there were a number of automakers that started going to photography, but the illustrations just had a certain surrealism about them, a certain magic, a certain human craft to them that is just different. There's something about a painting, especially a painting where it can be interpreted and things can be exaggerated and fictionalized that make it just kind of surreal and perfect and magical in a way that photography doesn't, or at least it couldn't at that time because we didn't have Photoshop and we didn't have all of the tricks that exist now to make things look better than they actually are or to present them in, in, a, in a very flattering light. You know, photography was in its infancy of, for cars in the 50s and 60s. So artists like Art Fitzpatrick and Van Kaufman rose to the level of, of you know, these marketing gods who did incredible uh, things for both the Buick brand and the Pontiac brand. They elevated them to the, I would say, and, and many people might argue, the best years of their existence. Absolutely. What did you learn about these two gentlemen? Well, first, I had to find them. I discovered eventually at some point, I thought, you know, I'm an art director now. I'm in the business. I've got Google. Why don't I just type it in and, you know, type in AFVK, which were the little initials I always saw on the ads that were my favorites, Pontiac, because they were always Pontiac ads and they always had the AF and VK initials on them. So I just typed in AFVK Pontiac and up pops the name Art Fitzpatrick and Van Kaufman. So for the first time, I actually knew who these who people these were. guys are. Yeah. You know, until the internet was invented, you know, I wasn't in Detroit. I didn't know anybody in the car marketing business or in the ad agency business as a 10 year old. There was no way for me to know. So I found Art Fitzpatrick and got in touch with him. He was selling prints of many of his paintings that I loved and I ordered a print and I wrote him a letter and he said, you know, you've inspired me to become an art director in advertising. I've always loved your work and, um, you know, it's great to be able to be in touch with you. So he wrote me a nice letter back. We kept in touch. You know, I would talk to him from time to time and I just said to myself, there needs to be there needs to be some way to record this guy's experiences and, you know, talk to him and get information out of him. He's just too valuable a resource and too interesting of a guy to not document him and and his, his work. Van Kaufman, unfortunately, had died back in 1995, so I did not get a chance to talk to him, but I made contact with Van's son, Chris. And Chris was very willing to be interviewed, very helpful, open, had great stories about Van, uh, had some fantastic relics that Van had saved throughout his career, materials that that had been kind of filed away after his death that I was able to access. And, you know, as soon as I got into 
really kind of getting to know Fitz personally and getting to know Van's work, I thought, this stuff is just fantastic. This has got to be done either, you know, a video or a book. It started out as a video, and I realized pretty soon that the way to do it, the best way to do it was really to do a book. That That's when the book project began in earnest after I made this discovery of how fantastic the work was, and that there was so much material that I suddenly had access to that no one else had ever seen before. You know, I think what is great is that a person like you, an art director, put this book together because a lot of times we talked about this in a pre-show chat. I'll get books from people and the pictures aren't that great. The print quality is usually what suffers and you'll kind of get disappointed a little bit going, man, I want this to be so good. When I opened your book, the smile got very large on my face. I went, all right, this is so cool. These are so crisp and sharp. There's so many of them. Did you have way too much material to be able to put this together? I mean, was there an editing process that was a bit agonizing? Yeah, you know, it's hard because, you know, you want to, I mean, these guys were my heroes, you know, Fitz and Van were my heroes when I was a kid and I wanted to do a book that honored them. So, yeah, I better pick the right stuff. Fitz died about five, six years ago now. And so, you know, and I didn't finish the book in his lifetime. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to preserve this guy's legacy and preserve Van's talents as well, I better not screw this up. So I really wanted to do a good job on the book. That One of the things that I decided early on was that I would find as much original artwork as I I could to photograph. You know, the weakness of many of this type of book is that, you know, people find old copies of magazines and scan the pictures and put them in a book without a whole lot of effort put into image quality. I found several people who own many original paintings that wow. still survive today and flew around the country going to their houses or workplaces and setting up a mini studio and photographing the original paintings under ideal conditions. So that's why they're so nice. There you go. Yeah. They look in some cases better than they've ever looked before. I got an email from someone the other day who said, wow, I can actually see the texture of the paper in this image in your book. I've never seen that before. Right. And there are, are many images that have a subtlety to the color uh, in there that I don't think has ever really been seen before. There are actually some images that, quite a few images that have small changes in them. They were published with changes that were made after Fitz and Van handed the paintings over to the ad agency. Wow. So you'll see some images in the book that are different than the ones that you've seen out in the media for the last 60 years because minor things had been changed after the paintings were completed in the post-production process. Uh, you know, so yeah, it, there was a huge effort on my part to find the best quality material I could. So not only were there original paintings that I went around the country to photograph, but I had access to some 8x10 transparencies, which are extremely high quality. I had some access to Van Kaufman's original personal proofs, which were a very high quality on really good quality paper. Um, I used software whenever possible to get just the sharpest results out of everything. To get the color accurate, I shot everything with uh, um, a... Uh, a color calibration strip so that I would not misrepresent any of the colors. Um, so I would say that given modern technology, those paintings look about as good as they're ever going to look. They're The only way that you could top some of those paintings are the ones that I did not have an original painting to shoot. If you were to be able to dig up and if the painting still exists somewhere in the world, you could photograph it and make a better image of it. But I felt quite serious about the, the images have to look absolutely the best that they can look. These are the images that people are going to remember these guys by in future generations because of this book. And 
damn it if I'm not going to make them look as good as I possibly can. So there was just a tremendous amount of effort on that. Some people would say too much. I went through five rounds of color proofs wow. on the book to get the, the, the artwork to look absolutely perfect. And it's, I think, I, I think it is as good as it's ever going to look. So I, I do feel good about that. I feel like I've, I've done these guys the dedicated uh, tribute that they deserved. Well, you did, most definitely. You know, the sad thing is a lot of times these original pieces are sent off to ad agencies and then they're gone. And, you know, you think about, for instance, uh, cells for animation, uh, Disney and so forth, that just ended up in dumpsters. And, you know, once they were done, they didn't need them anymore. It's pretty cool that so many of these originals were kept. Did, Did these two gentlemen ask for their originals back when they were done? Is that why these things were available? Some of them, yeah, they, um, you know, they they asked for the originals back. They owned them. You know, they were their artwork as opposed to, you know, someone else's property. Also, a lot of them were saved in a kind of a freak accident. Many of them were stored at the ad agency that uh, that produced the ads, at least the Pontiac work. Uh, they were stored in the basement of that ad agency in Detroit for a number of years. And a construction accident happened in the basement, rupturing a water line. And there was a flood down there. Hundreds of pieces of art were destroyed, but there were some that were saved by a quick-thinking janitor, believe it or not, grabbed a bunch of stuff and saved it. And through that luck and through the fact that, you know, collectors and Fitz and Van themselves having saved some paintings uh, means that some fraction of those original paintings still exist. You know, probably a small fraction. I have no idea how many in total exist out in the world. But, you know, I was able to find over 100 original paintings. Those guys did a thousand paintings or more in their career that existed as original physical artwork at some point. So I found about 10% of it, but there may be more. I'm actually interested to see if anybody approaches me and says, hey, I've got an original painting in my living room. Or It's an interesting question, how much of that actually remains out there these days? Because as you say, advertising artwork, as with many other kinds of commercial, what you would call commercial art, was pretty much immediately discarded or just stored for a while and then thrown away. It didn't have a historical value to people at the time. It was just, okay, we're done with this model year, now on to the next model year. It just wasn't thought of as as art that would have value in the long run like you would see art in a gallery. It was thought of as being, in many ways, a kind of inferior art form, but because it was created for a commercial purpose. But I think, as we can see now, many of the great artists did both fine art and commercial art. Norman Rockwell, for example... Wyeth. I mean, many, many artists produced incredible work in the realm of what was called commercial uh, art mm-hmm. back in the day. And it takes time to kind of see the value of that. But in perspective, now you can look back on this work from 60, 70 years ago and go, man, this is just some beautiful work, regardless of whether it was produced for a commercial client or not. And uh, luckily, some fraction of it still exists, although my guess is the vast majority of it has been lost to time and only exists in printed form in magazines and such. Yeah, absolutely. We see this with movie posters and even when I think about old vintage racing from the 20s, 30s, 40s, and even into the 50s, I've had many clients, or I should say many guests on the show, who sell original prints that were done and you always wonder where's the original piece of artwork does that exist too somewhere because these original prints that were done on very high quality canvas in many cases um they've been reproduced on paper in a much cheaper form those things they sell for thousands tens of thousands of dollars now because there's not many of them uh, put out there you know i typically ask my guests about driving inspirations people who are influential and uh, mentors and so forth but i think in this case for you 
<laughs> the two guys in the book, right? It, it's obvious, yes. Uh, it's Fitz and Van. Yeah. Art Fitzpatrick and Van Kaufman, those are the guys that got me started really in advertising art direction. And yeah, clearly those those two men had the greatest influence on me in terms of my career choice. Maybe that and uh, Star Wars were probably my two biggest interests when I was a kid. And between those two things, I just developed a great love for design and for artwork and for vehicles and painting and, you know, all these kind of fine arts things, industrial arts, you know, uh, these sort of applied arts. But yeah, those guys were were clearly my childhood heroes and I was I was very lucky to get to know Fitz later in life. It was, you know, kind of a dream come true for me to to get to know him, become a friend, spend many, many hours with him and uh and ultimately to do this book. That's very cool. Well you know, another great one who was a guest on the show, we've lost him since then, Sid Mead, um, and his very uh, futuristic fantasy drawings, which included in many cases automobiles, uh, but also mm-hmm. planes and ships and fantasy uh, transportation modes and all this kind of thing that I'm sure inspired many, many young kid who saw those imagery, uh, those images uh, in print or in books or posters or whatever they might be. We're going to take a short break. We come back. I want to talk about maybe a challenge you face in putting this book together. So keep the seatbelts on and we'll be right back. Today's vehicles are essentially computers on wheels, and it takes more than a wrench and oil to keep them humming. That's why Cars Yeah! supports TechForce Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to driving tomorrow's workforce of skilled technicians forward. Techs keep our cars, trucks, airplanes, and fleets rolling. Yet there's a massive tech shortage because many young people don't know it's no longer a blue-collar job. Today, it's a new-collar career. It involves computers, technology. It's in high demand. You get paid really well. And you can live and work anywhere in the country. I know you're passionate about cars, trucks, and motorcycles. And you can help pass that passion on to the next generation of techs so our rides keep rolling down the road. Visit techforce.org today and learn how. I've discovered Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual informed, reasoned opinion based on first-hand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, the people who share your passion and mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions, ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. And be sure to use the code CARS YEAH when you subscribe and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. So let's talk about this. Uh, I asked my authors who are on, I've had hundreds of authors on the end, what were some of the big challenges in putting together this book? You cited one, having to travel around and find all these pieces. I mean, that was a big challenge in and of itself. Yeah, that I would say is the biggest challenge of this book. I'm, I wish I had another different answer for you there, but that was the big challenge. And I, and I was told by one or more people that uh, that's probably why the book hasn't been done before, mm. is that, you know, where do you find the original artwork? And you could do the book scanning it out of magazines and do a very good job of that kind of thing. But yeah, for me, I really wanted to make the best possible effort. And, you know, that was difficult. But what I did find 
in that process was it was actually surprising how easy it was to network with people. When you find somebody who has many of these pieces of artwork, they trade with people, they sell them to other people, they're in this kind of community of, it's almost an underground kind of society of people who collect advertising art and particularly advertising for cars. There's a handful of people who are really into this stuff. And I was really lucky and fortunate to meet some fantastic people who put me in touch with other fantastic people. And uh, that biggest obstacle, finding the original artwork, ended up being something that it wasn't easy because it required a lot of legwork. But it was remarkable how uh, helpful everyone was and how excited everyone was to help move this book forward because they all wanted to see it get done well see it's the car community uh, all you have to do is say i'm interested in cars that you love and sit back and listen and people <laughs> will share with you it's a very unique industry in that way and i've heard that from many many guests here yeah i've had people on the show that said you know i've, I've known ceos that won't take calls but if you say you're calling about a car they'll step out of a meeting and talk yeah. to you so very yeah. cool i had a um experience where there's a very nice fellow william porter who used to work for General Motors in the 60s. He was a very important designer. He was willing to have me over to his house and spend time there. And he spent hours and hours and hours with me. And I didn't know him, but I called him and I said, oh yeah, I talked to this guy. Oh yeah, I know him. You know, why don't you come on over? And it was that. And then it was another guy I said, hey, you know, I used to know the guy who was the art director on the Pontiac campaign. Why don't you come over and we'll talk? And I spent hours and hours and hours with him. Everybody was just so willing to to help out. And mm -hmm. I attributed it to the fact that Fitz and Van were so well-known and so beloved in that industry. The people who were in the car industry, people who had worked in, you know, inside General Motors, worked for Pontiac or worked for their ad agencies were really excited to kind of see this project move forward. And that I think really helped a lot. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And the other part of it is car people that are into specialty items like that, if they find someone else who has an interest in it, they're few and far between, quite honestly. It's mm -hmm. like if I go to a party with my wife, I always find the other car guy and we migrate to the garage and we're gone, you know, because <laughs> I don't want to hear about golf. I don't want to hear about whatever else you're interested in. I just want to talk about cars. And yeah. if I'm lucky enough to find a guy who has a cool car in his garage, that's where we end up for sure. Yeah. Now, you started off by saying you're not really a car guy, but I'm going to ask you the question anyway, and that is a special vehicle story in your life. Has there been a special vehicle in your life? But if there hasn't, then I'm going to let you go to another place. Maybe there was an illustration of a special vehicle in this book you put together that really caught your attention and got your interest. Yeah, there there was a special car. I did have, I always wanted to own a car from the 60s and mm -hmm. I did own a 65 Mustang for a while. Cool. Very short time. I discovered, I just really wanted to own one because I just loved the look of that car. Of course, you know, Everybody did, and that, that's what made it, you know, so popular. But yeah, the 65 Mustang was, I still think, a beautiful car. I owned one for a while. I discovered that just owning a classic car and the maintenance and the repairs and just all of that is involved in having it really be right was too much for me to handle as a person who is not a mechanic or not a restoration expert. So I eventually sold the car, but I absolutely do not regret owning the 65 Mustang because I'd always wanted to own one. I did. And now I've done it. Now I've got a scale model at 118th scale. That's a, <laughs> a die cast. You look I at it on. anytime you want. <laughs> I look at it as like, okay, I don't need to own the real size thing, but I'm glad I did for a while. So that was my special car. Now, which model did you have? Convertible, hardtop, or fastback? 
I just had the regular old hardtop. Hard In fact, it was it wasn't even the 289 V8. It was just the straight six, mm-hmm. you know, white interior. So it was kind of a you know it was kind of one of those powder puff kind of Mustang. It wasn't a road racer or a GT. It was just it was just a pretty car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're great. I had a '65. Mine was a fastback, and it was built to be. Uh, it was actually a clone of a, a Shelby GT350, uh, white with awesome. the blue stripes. But I tell you what was interesting about that car. It was only the second American car I've ever owned. I've always had European sports cars. Everybody loves a Mustang. And you may have countered this too. Wherever you go, you get gas, whatever. Everyone has a Mustang story. Someone who had one, they had one, an uncle, a cousin, a mom, a brother, whoever it might be. So getting gas always was a longer <laughs> experience than it should have been because people wanted to come over and talk about it. At the very least, you get a thumbs up from people as you're stopped at the stoplight, mm-hmm. you know, and at the most, they want to talk. So, yeah, I yeah. mean, certain cars and Mustang is certainly one of them. People just love them. And car of that popularity and that influence, it just has a huge impact on the entire history of automobiles. Right. I mean, you know, obviously there are many cars that have, have made their mark, but you know, for me, that one was something special. Not to say that there are not many other cars that I really love, and there are some that I'll it probably should probably should list some GM cars I love too. I love the 67 Cadillac Eldorado. I love pretty much every Buick Riviera. I love the 65 Pontiac Grand Prix. I love this the 69 Pontiac Grand Prix. Uh, I love the old Thunderbirds. I mean, there's so many cars that I love. And the old Cadillacs. I mean, you know, American cars mostly, but there's just so many great cars that, you know, there's almost as many cars now as there are tastes. And everybody's got that, like what you say, that special car that you wanted to own. And yeah, I, I love the styling of many of them. Maybe what I should have said is maybe I am a car guy, but I'm not a mechanical car guy. Okay. I just love I love car styling. And I think that's the thing that appeals to me about cars is not necessarily the mechanics of how they work, but just as a piece of art, as a piece of sculpture. And also as a reflection of the design aesthetic of the time period that they come from, cars just have an incredible influence over us and an incredible presence in our lives on a daily basis. And I think that's something unique about cars that is just really special. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to be your car psychologist. I'm going to crawl into your head a little bit here. If you woke up tomorrow and you were manifest as a vehicle, and you can pick a car from your book, perhaps one of those classics you're talking about from the 60s, because that's kind of uh, appropriate here. What kind of car would you be? But more importantly, why? I would not. And I th- this is a good question. And I think I would not pick my favorite car. I would pick something close to my favorite car. I love the 1966 Ford Thunderbird. Yeah. Especially the Landau. Love that car. But in 1967, as you know, they came up with the first four-door Thunderbird, which was still a cool-looking car. It had the suicide doors, but something was just a little too practical about it. So I am not the 66 Thunderbird that just is gorgeous unequivocally. I am the 67 Thunderbird that just has a little too much of a nod to practicality. And that is... (laughs) That is the weakness of that car, and I would say also the weakness of me is that I have a practical side that sometimes, uh, you know, might be um, my downfall because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go crazy over an idea. I'm gonna do as much as I can within the constraints I have, and that's that's my practical side. So I'm a '67 uh, Thunderbird, the the four door. Very well thought through. I like the way you did that. <laughs> Very nicely done. <laughs> yeah, when that one came out, you kind of went. Hmm. Okay. Not really still, what I was you know, thinking. <laughs> you know, still a good looking car, 
but the four door was a compromise. Yeah. You know, they wanted to sell more cars. They put, they, they made a four door out of it. And the Thunderbird was just never the same. In my opinion, it, it, it you know, it just gets into that other level. It, it had moved in a different direction. So. Absolutely. Well, obviously <laughs> we're promoting this book, Art Fitzpatrick and Van Kaufman uh, by our guest today, Rob Keel. Now you've done one other book as well, right? What was that title? That was a, an architecture book called Little Boxes, The Architecture of a Classic Mid-Century Suburb, and it is actually about the city of Daly City here near San Francisco. In the 1950s, there was a developer named Henry Dolger who built thousands of well-designed houses that were kind of the prototype of the post-war suburb in San Francisco, kind of like you know the equivalent of Levittown in New York or Lake Forest in Southern California. Uh, but anyway, I love that architecture. I'm, I've always been an architecture fan, love mid-century architecture, and no one had written that book. And I ended up meeting a number of people related to that project, just got really excited about it. And similar to this, I just had to do the book. It didn't exist yet, so I ended up doing it. What was that? There was a, a song about the ticky-tacky boxes in San Francisco. Who, what is the song that I'm was, thinking of here? That is Malvina Reynolds' song, yeah. Little Boxes. Little and boxes. she wrote that song. Yep. specifically about Westlake oh, and Daly City. A lot of go. people don't realize that, but she wrote that song about the Westlake District and Daly City because she was driving south to a concert, I believe, in Santa Cruz on one particular night in 1963, I think it was, or mm -hmm. 62, and wrote that song because uh, they looked like little boxes that were all the same, and yep. she decided to make a song out of it. So, Yep. Yeah. Okay, that was it. You know, My father was an architect, and I remember him telling me about that and going to San Francisco when I was a kid and driving through that area and going, this is the the little boxes houses, and, you know, and yeah. Uh, it, <laughs> well, he, exactly. he knew his stuff. A lot of people didn't realize those were the actual houses she was writing about. Yeah, yeah, very, very cool. All right, I'm going to take you on the ultimate drive before I let you go here, Rob. That means you get to pick any car in the world that you're driving. You get to pick anybody in the world to be with as a co-driver or someone that you're riding along with. They could be somebody living or deceased. So maybe you pick art or van to go along with you, or maybe both. And then you get to go anywhere you want to go. Now, you live in a beautiful part of the world. There's a coast highway there. I've driven up and down that coast highway through San Francisco many times, up in the Redwood, down in the Redwood Forest, or up north of San Francisco over the Golden Gate Bridge. What does your ultimate drive look like today? My ultimate drive would be to be in a 1965 Pontiac Grand Prix, because I love that Pontiac. And I would pick Van Kaufman, perhaps not, not too surprisingly. I got to know Fitz really really well, but I never got to meet Van Kaufman, and I really wish that I had. I would love to be able to ask him about some of these very specific things that he did, specific techniques that he used, you know, to be able to actually ask very particular questions of him. I was able to do that with Fitz and get very detailed answers about, oh, how'd you do the reflections? How'd you do chrome? How'd you do water? How'd you do this? You know, I was able to really pick his brain and get a lot of that information out of him and put it in the book. Van Kaufman, I never had that privilege because of the timing of just not having to, to have met him. I would love to take a drive with him, you know, down the coast in a 65 Grand Prix and ask, how did you get those shadows under that palm tree? How did you paint the negative, you know, how did you paint in reverse to get the shadows of this palm tree that you did in this ad? Yeah. You know, how did you, um, how quickly did you render these people? You know, what was the name of this particular place that you did this background of because there are some backgrounds that have not been identified over the years i would love to be able to ask him where is that building where is that place you know was this an inspiration that you got from this person or there's a lot of specifics that uh that i did not get from fitz that i would love to get from van plus he just seemed like an incredibly interesting 
and funny person from everything I've heard from people that knew him. He was he was stylish. He was funny. He was, you know, very perceptive, very clever, mm-hmm. uh, opinionated in, in many ways, but uh, just a lovely person. And uh, he'd be the guy I'd really want to spend some time with and, and get to know while driving in one of the automobiles that he illustrated so beautifully uh, or scenes that he illustrated so beautifully that I- influenced me as a kid. That would be pretty cool. You know, it's too bad podcasting didn't exist back then so we could record voices like we are today in perpetuity so that, you know, 100 years from now, people can go, that Rob Keel, he was a cool guy. So there you go. (laughs) There you go. Well, you've taken us on a really fun journey today. I'm so glad you created this book. It's absolutely spectacular. Uh, For you listeners out there, if you love automotive art, you love cars, especially from the 60s, 50s, that era, you got to get your hands on this book, Art Fitzpatrick and Van Kaufman by Rob Keel. I'll put links on how to get this. Uh, one place you can go to is uh, fitzandvan, F-I-T-Z-A-N-D-V-A-N.com, uh, which will put a link to that. Also, advectionmedia.com. Are they the publishers of the book? Right, right. Bas- yeah, basically they're the same thing at this point. Yeah, I'm hoping to have the book up on Amazon in the near future, and there are some retailers in the U.S. and abroad that carry it, so you can also potentially find it in a local bookstore, but the best way to find it right now is fitsandvan.com. There we go. You got to get your hands on this. By the way, like I said, one lucky car sale listener is going to get a signed copy of this book, so uh, just go to carsale.com, type in or click on, I should say, the free book button and your name will go in the hat and I'll mail that off to you. Would you leave us with maybe some uh, words of wisdom, uh, mantra, parting words of advice for our listeners today? Yeah, I think I think that uh, this book is a good example of it. And my advice to people is do that project that you've been thinking of doing. I think a lot of people have a project that they want to do. You know, for some people, it's oh, I want to be, you know, I, I want to land on the moon or I want to sing the national anthem at the Super Bowl. Those are not projects in my mind. Projects are things that you can slowly but surely grind away at that you want to accomplish. For many of us, it's a car. Mm-hmm. It's restoring a car. It's you know. Um, Building something, creating something, writing something, music, a book, making a movie, publishing your memoirs, you know, whatever it may be. Projects are good and they exist, they exist in our imaginations. And my advice to people would be do that project at whatever scale you can, you know, do the project that you have in mind that you've not been doing, do it on the largest scale that you think you can reasonably accomplish because there's a reason that that project has come into your mind. It needs to be done. Ah, wonderful advice. By the way, I want to do a shout out. Thank you to a mutual friend of ours, Joan Kramer, who's a guest on my show, a wonderful illustrator, artist, designer. Uh, Joan is one of those really special people. She's become a friend of mine and she's the one that introduced me to Rob. So Joan, thank you very much. I know she's listening today. Isn't she great? She is fabulous. She was a real trailblazer in the automobile industry and just a delightful person. I I feel lucky to know her. I do as well. Rob, hey, thank you for being so generous today with your time and uh, sharing this new book. Marvelous job. I'm so excited. Can't wait to sit down and enjoy it again. It has a special place in my library, my automotive library, which just is growing and growing with the hundreds of authors I've had on the show. This one is very special. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, 
a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!